When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey y'all, Brandon Harvey here. Before we get started with the episode, I'm so excited to share that today, the day that we are releasing this episode, we are officially starting shipping on issue two of the Good Newspaper. Many of you have already seen issue one of the Good Newspaper because you subscribed or backed our Kickstarter or just ordered a copy or maybe you went to a conference where we shared the Good Newspaper. Issue two is amazing. It's something that I'm really proud of, and I'm so impressed by our entire team who put this thing together. It's such a wonderful celebration of the good in the world, and I think that it's better than ever. And so if you haven't already ordered issue two, please go pick it up. We'll ship it to you this week. Uh, you can do that at goodnewspaper.co. And uh, man, I'm looking at it right now, like I'm flipping through it. I don't know if you can hear this, but man, I'm just so excited about it. So Anyway, check it out, goodnewspaper.co. Get your copy today. Oh, and one more thing. Before we begin, I wanted to let you know that in today's episode, we talk about struggles with mental health and even more specifically, suicide. We're really proud of this episode and think it's important and beautiful, but if this is especially difficult or triggering for you right now, we'd love for you to just skip this episode, take care of yourself, and just tune in a future week. All right. Now on to the show. Seconds before Kevin Walsh was about to attempt suicide in 2007, he received an unexpected phone call from his first crush, a girl named Blake Moore. That phone call ended up saving his life. And now, more than a decade later, the two are married. It's an incredible story. And not very many people had heard this story until Kevin posted his story on Quora, a question and answer website, answering the question, what is one moment in your life you thought could only happen in a movie? His response, this story, went absolutely viral and then ended up being featured all over the internet, including the Huffington Post, BuzzFeed, The Independent, and People. And even if you've already heard the Walsh's story and read the articles that have them featured, I still don't think you have the full picture of why their narrative is spectacularly unique and life-changing. And you're going to have to listen to this full conversation to put together the missing pieces. It's This is a crazy and amazing story. And I'm so glad that I tracked down Kevin and Blake to have this conversation. A few quick things before we jump in that I feel like might be fun to know. Number one, Blake is a quote-unquote retired professional singer. She's going back to law school right now to become a lawyer. But the crazy thing is once she's a lawyer, she'll be a lawyer with two Grammys and five Grammy nominations. Like, she's legit. Kevin is also an amazing engineer and very important. They have three dogs. (laughs) Oh, man. On top of that, they are advocates for sharing how deep shared experiences, although sometimes painful, can form the unique kind of relationships that stand the test of time. Kevin and Blake are honest, hilarious, and full of the kind of messy hope our podcast is always looking for. I am Brandon Harvey, and this podcast right here is Sounds Good. This is the weekly podcast where we have conversations with inspiring people who are rejecting cynicism and hopelessness and using their lives to fill the world with more love, joy, and justice. And one more time, this is such a fun conversation. I am so excited about it. And with that, I think this episode is really, really important. And I'm so excited for you to fall in love with these two amazing people. They're the coolest, most fun couple ever. I love my conversation with them so much. Let's do this. Kevin and Blake, how long have y'all been married? Oh. We had been married just about a year. Yeah, a year on Sunday. No way. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> wow. How's the first year been? Uh, it's been really good, actually. Mm-hmm. So everyone says that it's supposed to be the hardest. Yeah. Your first year is the hardest. And um, 
we have gone through some significant changes, a lot of ups and downs, but so um, far so good. Yeah, it's been the most fun I have ever had, and I am I'm feeling so very grateful to be doing life with this fella over here. That's so fun. I, my wife and I have been married for two years now, almost two years, two years in like two months. And yeah, we feel the same way. We feel like everybody says that your first year is rough and it's going to be so hard and get ready for it. And we just really enjoyed it. Like, you know, it was hard. We had our ups and downs, but like what a good time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe everybody's lying. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> maybe they're just like setting your expectations fairly low. So you can just always go above that. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you do, it will be better than the low expectation that's been set. Oh, my really goodness. Nice them, Seriously. I know. We should get in on that conspiracy Yeah. start helping people out. Oh, yeah. Perfect. Okay, well, we'll have the producer edit this to say uh, that the first year of marriage is really hard and it sucked for both of us. Yes, of course. <laughs> That's perfect. We're going to pass on this wisdom now as old married folk. As old married folk. Yeah, I think that you're allowed to start doing that on Sunday, so that'll be great. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> when did you guys first meet? So we first met, backwards math. <laughs> Um, I was 13 and she was 14. No um, way. We met at a summer camp um, up in Michigan and uh, I was 13. She was 14. And uh, we, so we met at the archery range and how we ended up there is kind of funny. Um, <laughs> basically she had shattered her elbow uh, like a week or two weeks before. And uh, she was kind of like anti-establishment for a 14 year old. And uh, she was like, surely there's no way that they can make me participate if I sign up for archery uh, so I can just stand there and talk to my friends because I'm literally physically incapable of performing this activity. And as a 13-year-old boy, I signed up for archery because archery is the coolest thing in the world. Oh, yeah. who wouldn't want to do archery? 100%. So (laughs) I'm there to shoot some stuff. She's just there to just kill time. And, uh, so I got there early cause I'm a giant nerd and, uh, and, and I'm standing there talking to some friends, like talking about how pumped we are to shoot some stuff. And all of a sudden, uh, somebody walks up behind me and says, black is a good color on you. And I turn around and there's this beautiful 14 year old, <laughs> uh, standing there, like clearly talking to me. And I'm like, I'm I'm like dumbstruck. I'm like I don't have any idea how to respond to that. That's like the most punk anti-establishment thing to say too. Like that's a really <laughs> oh, good um, opening line. Just wait till. <laughs> so I followed it with, um, "It's very slimming," which is what every thirteen-year-old who weighs maybe ninety pounds soaking wet wants to hear. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So had zero idea how to take that, but it just kind of struck up a conversation and we sat there and talked for a while and, and, uh, became friends and, and we kind of just like we're, we're friends for the remainder of camp that week. And, and, uh, I kind of like knew where she was, uh, it's kind of sounds weird, but like she just made an impression like where she kind of became my focal point of, of camp. And it was like, definitely like a super crush, but part of it was just like, she just made an impression like that she's had this kind of this like light about her that was kind of uh, like this, this kind of intriguing and um, just endearing factor that she had about her. So yeah, I guess that answers the the first question. Yeah. So 14 years ago, rather than launch into the whole story. Okay. Wait. And so Blake, were you like thinking about him at this point? Like, did you have any idea that like he might be interested in you or that one day you would get married? Oh, no, I've been oblivious. <laughs> I was completely oblivious. For like 12 years. Yeah, for for the majority of <laughs> the time we've known each other. I affectionately called him Ninja Kevin. Oh, yeah. Um, a result of a story from camp the next year. <laughs> but we would always go, we would talk on and off throughout the years. So I had no idea. Did you guys keep in touch after camp or, or what was that like? Oh we yeah, did. we uh, we exchanged AOL instant messenger screen. Yes. Whoa. Because that was mm-hmm. the thing to do. That's really. Wait, is this too embarrassing to ask? What were your screen names? Oh boy, oh, I was just gosh. thinking about that the other day. Yours? Ooh. <sighs> Didn't you change yours to Ninja Kevin later? No, I can't remember. 
Mine was the smuggler at one point, and I don't remember why. Oh, no. Yeah, it was the smuggler. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, it was. And I think mine was Georgia Girl. Nice. uh, Something eighth notes. Oh, mine was erratic eighth notes. That was it. Yeah, that's what mine was. Erratic eighth notes. Mine was Converse All-Stars. Oh, wow. Yes. Wow, you must have gotten in the game early to get that one. there was like an underscore or numbers or something Mm. in there. Okay. I feel pretty happy about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's a good one. I stand by mine. Good. I stand by mine. I have yeah. really no idea why mine was the smuggler. Well. <laughs> I got nothing. Two or three. <laughs> we'll call it a net that's, win. That's pretty good. So you guys lived in different towns then. How far away? Yeah. We, oh, so he was in Chicago and I was in Michigan. So we, oh, wow. let's see, four and a half hours probably. Yeah, right around. Yeah. So we didn't see each other that whole first year um at all and then we saw each other the next year at camp mm-hmm. and i will let him tell that story <laughs> he's a better storyteller than i am <laughs> mostly because he knew he was in love with me and i had no idea so he holds <laughs> on to these stories <laughs> oh that's so funny it was, it was like important to me or whatever um <laughs> so uh so basically uh at camp there's this thing called the night game and the night game is pretty much what it sounds like. It's like a giant game of of something that happens at night. It's usually like capture the flag or like uh, some like objective based game where there's like 200 kids roaming around uh, trying to strategically conquer some objective. And uh, usually there's like two two giant teams and. So it's 100 kids versus 100 kids. So it's total. Screaming preteens running through the woods. Complete oh chaos. Oh, my goodness. But, uh, but it's like very like stealth and subterfuge and strategy-based, at least in theory, until everyone <laughs> just starts running around like crazy people. But hooligans. Hooligans. And, uh, but I had enjoyed the night game so much the first round of camp that the second round of camp, I was very prepared so over the uh, over the school year, I saved up and bought a full on ninja suit, oh uh, a legit ninja suit, like a pretty pretty good one. And, saved uh, up for it, like that tells you how good it is. Oh, yeah. yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I uh, I and I mean I bought this thing like in I, I don't know like October. I mean like I was I was pumped for the night game like all year, and uh, so I show up to summer camp with this thing don the don the ninja suit for the first night of camp when the night game happened and uh I'm roaming around doing my thing strategizing and and subterfuging and so I come into the like this clearing with this uh with like a swing set and I see Blake over there on the swings just chilling uh not playing the game at all <laughs> no, again rebel without a cause yep. I did not want to run around with aforementioned hooligans <laughs> so she's just She's just hanging out, talking to a friend, not not doing anything in particular. And so I'm like, oh, I'm going to sneak up on her because in my now 14 year old brain, that's flirting. And uh, so I'm going to sneak up on her in a ninja suit. It's going to be hilarious and like zero foresight. But so I sneak up on her. I get to where I'm about five feet behind her and she turns around and I'm like pretty confident in my sneaking ability because I'm wearing a full on ninja suit and she just (laughs) turns around and I just like freeze and uh, and she just looks at me, like looks me up and down, and goes, "Oh, hi, Kevin," and then turns back around, and I'm like, "Okay, no, couple <laughs> things. Number one, you can see like four square inches of my face. How did you know it was me?" And she's like, "Oh, you have a very distinctive walk. Like your your stride hasn't changed." And I'm like, "You didn't see me walk." So to this day, I'm really not positive how she knew it was me, but apparently, I walk so distinctly that uh you tell it's me gracefully without yeah like <laughs> without an injured looking. gazelle <laughs> <laughs> in an ninja suit wow that's so funny and then okay so post camp life and you know in the aim world or, or whatever was going on like however you were keeping in touch how much were you keeping in touch uh you know what did communication look like for the two of you i think we graduated from um AOL Instant Messenger. <laughs> oh, good. Um, to uh, texting, mm-hmm. where it's still like T9, like old school. <laughs> yeah. And you're probably still paying per text. Oh, so yeah. Got, oh, like, definitely. 500 texts a month. Oh, yeah. yeah. My parents didn't know her name at the time, but they hated her. <laughs> <laughs> um, but not, not very much. 
we weren't talking constantly or anything like that. Just like but touching like, base every once yeah, in a while. Fairly consistent. I'd yeah. say like a conversation every few weeks or so. Yeah. And so this was in high school, right? Like at this point you're you're like talking every once in a while, but uh, for the most part you're just pretty consumed with normal high school life. Yeah. Yes. What was high school like for you, Blake? Um, so I had been homeschooled up until high school. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then I went to a little private prep school type deal. There were 66 people in my class, but I was very active with my singing. I was in a professional touring choir um, and I played a lot of sports. So yeah, I was playing soccer and tennis and volleyball all while touring with this choir that I was in. It's so like friendship wise, relationally, you were like pretty connected. Yeah, I was pretty solid. I formed um, some of my best friendships, um, two of the girls that my uh, girls night posse is what we call each other. G and P. <laughs> it's very cool. And um, we started that in high school and they're my best friends. Some of my best friends to this day. That's incredible. But okay, what about what about you, Kevin? What was high school like for you then? Oh, pretty much the same. No. <laughs> yeah, the girls night posse. Also in a touring choir. G and P, man. We go way back. Um, <laughs> no, so it was, it was pretty different. Um, I would say that like toward the beginning of high school, it was it was fine. I was like the uh, just kind of a uh, uh, nerd. <laughs> Did you wear your ninja suit to school? I That's the real question. To, but I just ah, I couldn't help it, you know. Black just goes with everything, <laughs> and it true. is so, it's so slimming. slimming. <laughs> <laughs> and it looks so good on him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I was I was more of the uh, like shaggy long hair, jinko uh, jeans wearing uh, kind of like grungy kid who is okay at math and. Uh, just, you know, I had like a kind of a, a tight little group of friends who, you know, we were into video games and not much else. And But life was pretty, pretty much good. Uh, I didn't really enjoy school, um, just more from the, the social angle than anything else and, and uh, looked forward to summers like any other kid. But um, I think, you know, middle school and high school at large were just kind of a, like a, like a weird social pressure and kind of just like an overarching, like, I don't fit in here. A period of melancholy. <laughs> yeah. Like I was just kind of perpetually like looking for my people and, uh, and I found three or four of them and that was about it. And, and, uh, so it was okay. And then, uh, senior year, it kind of took a turn for the worst. Um, I started dating a girl who, uh, I kind of made my like top priority and that really, I, I kind of alienated myself from my, my existing friends group and sort of like cut myself off from um, them and my family and, and sort of just put all of my focus and energy into this one human. And then when that suddenly ended, I was just kind of uh, like left with nothing. And, and it's like a, a totally normal like situation um, happens all the time, like particularly in high school, but uh, for some reason, it just hit me particularly hard, and I think yeah, it was I'd, like one thing after another. Yeah, yeah, and um, and I think part of it too was uh, there were there were just like other thing, other regular life things that happened around that time, like my dog died, and and uh, there were just other <clears throat> life things going on that yeah, when yeah. compounded kind of forms a cloud of dark mm-hmm. yeah, more like, so than if they were experienced on their own. Yeah. Regular stresses that kind of synergize in a nasty way and, and kind of get blown out of proportion in your mind. And, and so anyways, I just kind of sank into this fog and uh, in the next couple of months I would fall into a deep depression and um, eventually resolve to end my own life. And so it, it kind of, uh, for a couple of weeks, I just, I sort of like planned what I wanted that to look like and, and how I wanted that to go. And then, uh, eventually I figured it out and I wrote a note and I drove to where I was going to do it. And right around five to 10 seconds from when I was going to end my own life, my phone rang. This is just like how my brain works. Um, I was like, I don't know if there is an afterlife, but if there is any semblance of an eternity, I cannot spend it wondering who was on the other end of that phone call. That just sounds like a super tedious existence. Uh, I got to know. And so I, I look at the front of the phone 
because it was a fancy flip phone where the caller ID was on the front. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it was a number I didn't recognize with a 517 area code. And so I flipped it open and answered it thinking it's going to be, you know, uh, I'm eligible for some unprecedented savings on my car insurance or uh, some other you know, <laughs> or something. And it's, uh, and so I say hello and it's, it's her and she says hello. And so we, we just kind of like had a, a normal conversation. She's just like, Oh, what's up? And so we kind of caught up about life for like 10, 20 minutes. And what was going on in your mind at this point? Like you're, you're in this place, you're ready for something really, really hard. And you're at the end of your rope. Did it feel like relief? Did it feel like annoyance? Did it like, what was that? What did it feel like to, to just hear her voice? Yeah. So like my mind was just completely blank at that moment. So like when I picked up the phone, I was like so unprepared to have a conversation, but it was just like, like my brain had been restored to factory default settings or something. Like I was just on autopilot. Like it was just like a regular conversation. And, uh, and I think that's like part of what kind of made it so weird was that I had been so starved for just like a conversation with an old friend. Um, you know, I hadn't really had anyone to just like act as a sounding board or, or just to, to kind of be there and, uh, and, and just to, you know, just to act like a regular friend. Um, and whether that, that absence was real or perceived, um, I think is, kind of subjective, but to be in that moment where you've like let everything go and you're just ready to not exist in the next couple of seconds. And then to suddenly be, uh, you know, tossed into this conversation. It's like, it's, it's, I mean, one moment you're staring, staring down the barrel of your own mortality at your own volition. And then, you know, the next minute you're, you're just like talking about how somebody else's day went. It was, it was super disorienting. And so we, we kind of caught up and, she was on the school trip at the time and she, she kind of had to like excuse herself. She wasn't supposed to be on her phone, but ever the rebel, um, she had snuck it in and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and called me. And so she was like, Hey, I got to get off the phone, but it was really good talking to you. Can we catch up more tomorrow? And I was like, uh, <laughs> and that kind of made me hesitate because obviously I hadn't really planned on, uh, like having a tomorrow. Um, so, uh, she picked up on that hesitation and kind of pride, and, um, and I was like, well, you know, I wasn't planning to be here tomorrow and kind of spilled the beans. And her response was literally, what? Don't do that. <laughs> so not prepared. <laughs> <laughs> so Blake, I want to hear like what was going on on your side of things. Like, why did you call Kevin? Like break it down from the beginning. So I did it. <laughs> Um, and this is kind of where it gets funky and spooky. My perception of that whole event is very different from his. And we didn't figure that out until after we got married, actually. I was on a school trip. Um, my little bougie school went on annual trips and we weren't supposed to have our phones. And um, I took mine because, yeah, rebel. <laughs> um And I saw his name pop up on my phone and we hadn't talked for several months, about a year, about a year, probably at this point. And, um, it was, it was odd for him to be calling me without texting or something like that. And it was odd enough to where I snuck off and I picked up. And when I did, I said, Hey, like what's going on? And he said, I'm calling to say goodbye. And it took me back a little bit. So I paused and I was like, pardon? And then he explained his situation and explained that he was going to end his life tonight and he wanted to say goodbye to me before he did that. And I felt so woefully unprepared, but... I said, okay, well, don't, don't do that. And then I honestly don't really remember what I said after that. (laughs) I do remember that a teacher came and like tried to interrupt and was like, go away. This is important. (laughs) Adults are talking. (laughs) Kind of. Mm, um, But yeah, our interpretation of that event is very different. Um, He actually didn't have, he had switched numbers. So there's no reason why I would have had his new number 
Um, I definitely, his name shouldn't have popped up on my phone. And I had gotten a new phone when I got a new number. So I had like none of my previous numbers, which is why, I mean. So he wouldn't have had my number. Yeah. Either way, it makes no logistical sense. And it doesn't even make sense from like why I would reach out to one friend that I hadn't talked to in a year versus all of the, the, the friends that were closer and that I had talked to more recently or somebody in my family or anyone. It just, it made no sense. It was like this, this seemingly random connection that was made and, uh, and then ended up with me not killing myself. Cause that's the thing when she said, what, don't do that. Uh, she, I mean, that the, I was basically like, yeah, okay. Yeah, thank you. That was a really stupid idea. I don't know why. It's what you needed to hear. Yeah. And who you needed to hear it from. Exactly. Yeah, at exactly the right moment when when I had, you know, let everything go and I was just this kind of malleable mess of a human and she said it and I was like, yeah, oh my God, like that's genius. can't believe I had planned to do that. And then she kind of reassured me or she kind of made me reassure her rather that um, for the next couple of minutes that I wasn't going to do anything stupid as soon as I got off the phone with her and and because uh, I, I knew his personality and his personality, he doesn't he doesn't undertake tasks lightly. He thinks about everything. He's a very type A personality. He fairly deliberate analyzes every choice. Um, so I knew when he said that, that it was not something it was not an impulsive teenage angst moment that this was something that he had well thought out that he had left a note and that he was going to do. Um, so that was a frightening element, I think. Mm. Um, but we didn't know that our interpretation of the event was different until after we had gotten married. So we just existed and we had formed this awesome friendship because that's really what bonded our friendship for so many years Mm -hmm. um is this shared experience and it's a hard friendship it's a hard element to explain to other people that haven't experienced that um the kind of connection at a soul level not in a romantic way but Mm -hmm. just a shared experience a very deep shared experience that forms a different kind of relationship. And it was crazy just as like a, I mean, you know, the dynamic is really cool, but just as like a foundation for a friendship, it's like that person is now the person who has seen you at your absolute lowest that a human can ever be. You know, it's like at that point, there's no best foot forward. There's no like trying to put on a face for somebody like they know, they know your soul. They know like you're, you know, they share your deepest secret. They, they're in for life. <laughs> well, and that's the beautiful thing about marriage, I think. And I think that's why the first year of marriage is so hard because all of a sudden you're confronted with this person who is seeing you at your worst and also your best, but it's really vulnerable. And I think that it's really beautiful that your first year of marriage has been awesome because maybe you had already laid that groundwork that night in, you know, in high school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he has seen me in terrible heartbreak. And yes, we have been through a lot through our friendship. Yeah. What did that friendship look like from there on out? What, what did that look like after this moment? I think that's part of why our respective relationships after that didn't like us being friends is because it, it does bond you in a way mm-hmm. that you aren't You cannot be bonded with other people. Um, But that kind of cemented our friendship in a unique way. And then we moved on from there. Um, He would come visit me every once in a while. Uh, He came and visited me um, college. Yeah, probably the summer after freshman year of college. Okay. So the summer after freshman year of college, he came and visited me. And he had started dabbling in guitar. So he was like, hey, I'm going to play a song for you. So he played Hey There Delilah for me. And um, as that song refuses to die, (laughs) um, I heard it in the grocery store two weeks ago. Whenever it would come on, I would text him or reach out and be like, hey, how are you doing? I heard this song. Thinking of you, blah, blah, blah. Um, (laughs) So we would just keep in contact throughout the years. He came and visited me a couple of times at school. But neither of us, we both dated other people throughout the years and neither of our 
prospective partners liked us being in contact with the other one. She's like way too pretty. <laughs> Hush. <laughs> so our our significant others weren't pleased that we were friends. Probably now. Justifiably. Yeah, it's justifiably. At the time, I was quite perturbed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand. I mean, maybe it's indicative of like a deeper connection that they were able to see between the two of you. I think, yeah. Yeah, maybe. I don't like to give them that much insight, <laughs> but... <laughs> it's a lot of credit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so th- neither of our partners liked us talking with each other. Um, and eventually he dated someone who didn't let him talk to me at all. Mm. She drew that hard line in the sand and him being a very respectful and loving partner abided by her wishes. And so we went a long time without talking. And then September 18th, 2015, <laughs> he reached back out from France. I think you Facebook messaged me from France. Wow. Yeah. And he was like, hey, how you doing? I said, well, excuse me, sir. <laughs> um, <laughs> you've been ignoring me for three years. And this is how you introduce yourself back into my life. So then I was in a relationship at the time and we kept in contact and we were friends and buddies and we caught up and we've always had amazing banter, quippy back and forth. And we kind of settled back into that very natural friendship that we had. Mm -hmm. Um, I was preparing actually to move back to Portland uh, for a partner and he talked that through with me. I had a hard time deciding, like, what is this the right choice? Um, I'm giving up a lot here to go be there. And he was my sounding board for a lot of it and was just an amazing friend. Just super supportive during that. So I decided to make that move. And I had um, taken time off work and I had a flight scheduled. And my relationship ended pretty pretty much out of the blue. And it was devastating. It it shook me pretty hard. So he would text me and be like, hey, are you eating? Have you eaten anything today? You need to make sure you're drinking water. Like, you should probably sleep, go outside. Just basic human needs, making sure that I was keeping up with during this couple of days. Um, But I had already taken time off work. So he said, well, why don't you come down? Come down to Indy and I'll take the week off work. And we'll just hang out. I'll show you around Indy and we'll just have a good time. And how old are you guys again at this point? This was in two... Yeah, just last... Yeah, late 2015. Yeah, this was, yeah, December 2015. Got it. So I went down and visited him and was just a mess, a complete mess. And he was a fantastic friend and... It's just like, look over here, look over here, be distracted, don't think about anything. <laughs> yeah. We did a, like a painting, a wine and canvas thing uh, where we made these. Wow. Oh, we have <laughs> the best paintings hanging up in our home right now of Foxy Brown. Of Foxy Brown. Um, mine's in purple and pinks and his is in oranges and reds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so that's a good souvenir. <laughs> Mine is not great. His looks like a boxy football very, player with a fro. Very heavy set. <laughs> She's a sturdy woman. <laughs> <laughs> he struggled with the neck proportions. I did. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but he was just awesome. And we kind of, there was this spark. And it was hard to kind of figure out if it was just a spark from, oh my gosh, this is this amazing human who is just showing me such support and such love right now. Um, Or if it was something more. And he obviously knew it was something more. (laughs) For me, at least I did. Wasn't really sure. And it's it's a tough situation to navigate too, because when somebody's just like heartbroken like that, it's it's tough to know, you know, is this just like a dumb thing? Am I going to be a dumb thing to somebody? Or is this like the, you know, the real deal and poor timing? And uh, so just kind of, kind of navigating that was, uh, was um, sort of a, a delicate process. So we kind of parted on the on like a sort of maybe in the future kind of note um, at the end of that week when she was in Indy. And uh, so she went back up home 
And a couple of weeks later, she had a, like a modeling gig over in Detroit. And I went up and visited her. Uh, I was in Detroit on contract for about three weeks. Uh, yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. Oh, wow. So he came and visited me on the weekends. Mm-hmm. And so the first weekend I went up there and we had been <clears throat> pretty much in constant contact uh, for, you know, the the whole time in between when she left Indy. And, and we had seen each other a couple of times. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. New Year's. And, um, and so I went up for the weekend and... And we just kind of hung out and, and got to talking and had this long discussion that kind of culminated in in this sort of crystallizing realization that if anybody didn't realize what they had with her, then they didn't deserve her in the first place. And that I kind of realized exactly what she was and who she was. And anyways, the it kind of crescendoed when uh, she asked if I would love her forever. And I was like, well, yeah, obviously. And uh, wow. she was like... So, uh, should we just get married then? What? (laughs) (laughs) So completely, completely sound. Um, (laughs) so there was one sheet of paper left on those little notepads that you find in the dresser drawers of hotel rooms. So we pulled out that one little sheet of notepad paper and we planned our wedding and it was pretty (laughs) much, it was full speed ahead from there. So Mm -hmm. we went. We'd never really had a dating period. Um, we just went straight to, okay, well, then this is what we're going to do. That's incredible. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's absolutely unreal. And Kevin, during this time, you know, when Blake was checking in, seeing how you're doing, like, how was your mental health doing? Did you have any other moments that low after that moment? I guess the the sample that I give is is like right after that night or um, like right after that conversation that we had. Uh, and when we got off the phone, you know, I was like reassuring her like, no, 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 that's that's a like that's past tense now. Like that is an idea that I, you know, admit that I had and that was stupid. And like that is behind me. That's like already, you know, even just still sitting in that car, not having moved. That was like already something that I had gone through and was done with. And, um, definitely never, never looked back, never like revisited that. I would say that I had like, you know, regular ups and downs through college and all that, but never, never like anything that I would quantify as depression, um, ever again. And, uh, it was, it was like truly an isolated thing. So that night after the conversation that we had, uh, we hung up. And I just kind of sat there in the car, you know, not having um, planned to be around for that night uh, or the remainder of that night. I just kind of sat there because when you cancel your own suicide, you don't really have anywhere to be. And uh, and so I just kind of kind of sat in my car and thought about what had just happened and how crazy astronomically unlikely it was that this person would call me at that exact moment just kind of started thinking about like what that meant and like my place in the universe and, and, uh, and kind of the sense of purpose that that bestowed on, on me and eventually us. And, and, uh, anyways, I thought of a couple of things that I wanted to tell her that it didn't seem right to tell her in that moment. Um, just about like kind of how much that meant to me that that had happened and how much she meant to me. And, and, uh, and, you know, she had had to get off the phone because she was on this retreat and uh, it'd be weird to call her back or text her in that moment. So I just kind of wrote them down thinking I would find a time later to tell her these things. And long story short, uh, I never did <laughs> get around to telling her those things. And I, I ended up writing down a couple of things here and there um, for the next uh, 10 years. And uh, eventually that uh, I didn't realize until we kind of got together and started talking about getting married. And I kind of took a step back and looked at all of the stuff that I wrote down that I wanted to tell her. And I was like, holy crap, I think this is a proposal. Um, so in a nutshell, I started writing my proposal the night that she saved me from killing myself. Um, and then uh, literally 10 years later, I would propose with those words. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's absolutely incredible and beautiful. And it blows me away that neither of you necessarily know how it happened, but it happened and it it saved your life and it brought you two together. That's incredible. 
I think we know that a force intervened and made it possible. That we know is true. And we don't really know why. Um, and I think that that was part of what we spent the first first bit of our marriage like looking at was wow like we do have kind of a kind of a cool story starting with that and then how quickly we decided to get married and um just what an amazing man he is to have pursued me and kept I don't know kept kept a fire burning for me <laughs> for so long um and how we would give that story purpose and what we would do with that uh, and this whole experience has kind of given us the opportunity to has kind of breathed purpose into it. Yeah. So last year, um, a, one of my really good friends from high school, um, there was kind of this close knit group of, of like four of us. And uh, and my good friend Brian uh, last year, unfortunately, killed himself. And uh, it was something where he had been you know, silently struggling. Uh, nobody had any idea that this was going on. And, um, and then one day just got a call that this had happened. And I mean, it was, it was like totally gut wrenching. And, uh, Brian was one of his, um, friends in high school. Um, one of his few friends that he had bonded with in high school and had kept in touch with, um, throughout the years. And, um, what, I think was really hard was that what if he had reached out or what if someone had called him? Mm -hmm. um, it's just kind of a crazy thing because I, I, you know, up until recently, like this whole thing went viral like a couple of weeks ago. And uh, up until then, I think I could probably count the number of people. I think, I think it was probably under a hundred people total that knew any portion of this story. So it's like, uh, you know, I posted this thing on Quora thinking maybe a couple dozen people would read it and, and then it blew up like it did. And, uh, and so now it's this whole different thing. But before that, it was like, nobody, nobody knew, you know? And, uh, so I never told Brian that, and that's a crazy thing because it's like, that's a, that's a story. That's like a big part of who I am. And, uh, and this, this close friend of mine, like could have been helped by that and wasn't because I never thought to tell him. And, uh, it's just kind of a crazy thing. So we've been, I mean, that's, that's like weighed on me for the last year. Like, man, how many other people could this story, could our story like really mean like something, if not life or death to that, you know, just by, just by telling them a story might give them some hope and, uh, and prevent this situation in the future. And, and, and then this all happened and it kind of gave us this platform to yeah. maybe speak from and, and kind of. You know, I mean, if, if one person hears this and, you know, it makes a difference, then obviously it's worth it. We have on the surface what looks like a very beautiful love story. Um, it's very princessy. Um, but when the heart of that is just so, the heart of it is so much more beautiful and um, just how it all started. And I think that that's what we come to realize through this is that we are helping people through this. We've gotten messages already um, through Instagram and through email about people who have been in, who have friends who are, they can see are struggling and how, how do I help them? How do I, how do I maintain a friendship with them? Um, or people who have said, this story has really touched me. I'm currently going through something that's really hard and this has given me hope. For people who are struggling, what would you say like that your encouragement to them is? And then for people, I guess, who are, you know, maybe not struggling, but have people that they care about in their lives who they know are struggling or, or you know, maybe they don't, you know, what does that look like? Uh, as far as um, what to say to people who are struggling, man, just if you find a way to just like you don't even have to deal with your problems today. Just like find a way to just make it to tomorrow. And that's the biggest thing. I mean, as far as advice to people who are struggling, uh, talk to someone, talk to anyone. Um, if you just say the words out loud, there is a power to that. And there's, there's, a, there's something to be said for just hearing your own words. 
Um, and, and there's a pretty solid chance that the moment you hear that idea out loud, you're going to realize that it's not what you want at all. And I, I would say, uh, if you're, if you're a person who thinks that you might know somebody who's struggling with this, just reach out. Um, I don't have the statistics on hand, but they're pretty staggering. Um, people who are asked, uh, by someone close to them, if they are considering suicide are astronomically less likely to commit suicide. So just broach the subject, you know, it it doesn't, you know, if you're worried about it being awkward or you're worried about, you know, are we really on that level of friendship where I can ask these questions? Like, don't worry about that stuff. That stuff is, it pales in comparison to what you can do for somebody if you just ask if they're struggling. And uh, the benefit far outweighs the awkwardness. mm. Mm. I'm so thankful that you two have lived out both ends of that and that you've survived and come together to be able to share that. And you're so right. I think that you really have inspired and encouraged literally at this point, millions of people. Um, And I think that can make a world of a difference. And I'm excited for you guys to hear stories years down the road of, of how that has impacted people because it already is. Yeah. To follow up on what he said, um, about saying it out loud, there is such power in saying things out loud. And I think that when we use the internet, things take on a different shade. Things look different in the written word and they feel different in the written word. And when you add a voice behind that, um, and when someone hears the voice behind that, there's a connection there that's made that you cannot get through text. So my big thing in a society where we no longer like to pick up the phone, um, where your house better be on fire or you better be on fire before you call me, uh, (laughs) I think it's important to still talk, to still have conversations with people um, over the phone, to call people if you haven't talked to them in a while, to maintain friendships. I kind of feel like we should end this episode... Instead of ending on that note and on discussing how bad of a flavor the coconut LaCroix is. Oh my gosh. You're such a hater. Like such needless hate. I'm just like Uh, we we fought about this for like five minutes before the episode started. The first words Blake and I said back and forth to each other were uh were she was speaking in favor of coconut LaCroix and I was speaking strongly against it yeah you just immediately <laughs> started pouring out the hate <laughs> and kevin is uh kevin is switzerland yeah but yeah. i was pouring out the hate uh and and you should be pouring out the coconut Lacroix onto oh! the ground where it belongs <laughs> <laughs> what's funny about the switzerland we got um he proposed in switzerland whoa that's incredible yeah he proposed in front of the swiss alps right on lake geneva that is beautiful. Absolutely incredible. Yeah, we majorly lucked out. A uh, work trip for me took me over there and happened to lined up with like exactly when the ring was ready. Like I was literally driving to the airport and I was like, come on, come on, come on, finish the engraving. It was like down to the wire. My ring is a um, black diamond, so <laughs> I get to look good in black forever. Oh, that's incredible. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I have a true romantic over here. That that sound you just made is like ubiquitous. Everyone makes that sound <laughs> at that story. And I love that you waited till the very last moment to drop that. Like that is the perfect way to wrap up this episode. Oh my goodness, you guys, this has been incredible. I I feel honored that I got to speak with you and honored that I got to hear your story and I I I genuinely am inspired by all of this. It was this pleasure speaking with you. Blake and Kevin just get it. They get what life's about and they understand how bad that hurts and how messy it can look sometimes. They aren't afraid to name the parts of our stories that are broken. I'm so inspired by that. They understand and model this idea that the stories that have extraordinary amounts of beauty coincidentally hold an extraordinary amount of pain and neither can survive without the other. Each of these elements must be present for the other to thrive. What a hard and beautiful truth. 
I'm so struck by how Kevin and Blake are so passionate about how they use their story to create a platform for people to be unafraid of talking about suicide. A lot of people wrestle with thoughts of taking their life. To be exact, on World Suicide Prevention Day, it was released that every year more than 800,000 people die by suicide. And up to 25 times as many make a suicide attempt. Behind these statistics are the stories of those who have, like Kevin, for so many reasons, questioned the value of their own lives. So let's do something about it. I think Kevin and Blake are onto something when they say that we have to help each other find a way to make it to tomorrow. That's the biggest thing. How do we do that? Talk to someone. Talk to anyone. If you say the words out loud that someone has purpose, value, and are loved, there is a power to that. Reach out to somebody who you think is struggling. Remember what Kevin said, people who are asked by someone close to them if they are considering committing suicide are less likely to commit suicide. And if you're wondering to yourself if you have the ability to make a difference to someone, just think about the impact of Kevin and Blake's story. They didn't even know until a couple of weeks ago how many people were impacted by it. So I want to tell you, maybe your story will make the difference to someone and it will make it worth it. Don't be afraid to share the gritty, messy, and authentic parts of your story. You might just give someone hope along the way. If you're struggling today and you need help right now, please text our friends at Crisis Text Line at 741-741. They'll take care of you. I'm so glad we got to have this conversation on the podcast today. If you're new to Sounds Good, we would love for you to stick around. If you connected with this episode, you'd also love our conversation with Nancy Lublin, the CEO of Crisis Text Line, and Bonnie Kay and her husband Max on this idea of redeeming tragedy. You can find these episodes and all of our episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is created by me, Brandon Harvey, as a part of Good, 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 a community that believes in the power of celebrating good news and becoming good news. You can get lots more hopeful stories on social media by following us everywhere at at goodgoodgoodco. We also create a beautiful quarterly newspaper that celebrates the people, ideas, and movements that are changing the world for the better. And like I mentioned at the top of the show, we just released our second issue. We can't wait for you to read the incredible and inspiring stories inside. You can order it today at goodnewspaper.co. And on that note, that is a wrap for this week's episode. Go out and do some good this week, and we'll be back next week with another inspiring story from an incredible person. And while you're at it, take Kevin and Blake's advice and go out of your way and make sure the people in your life know that there is a reason for them to make it to tomorrow because they matter and they're enough. Sound good?